This week we'll be uh, studying um, really the kind of the theme, I guess you would say, and we're going to follow like the Advent book is the promise of a Savior. And one of the things you'll see throughout Scripture is is uh, God reveals His plan to us, and He reveals to us over time more and more of His plan. And so I think it's just important as we think about it. And some of the things, one of the things mentioned in our guide this week is you could think of a time when you were hopeless. And then you, you might look back and say, what circumstances led you to that way? And then how is your hope restored? Sometimes we struggle with that and we think God makes these promises or whatever and we're waiting and we start to struggle and we wonder how is this going to come out and, and what's going to happen? And we might even feel hopeless. And if we're honest, there's times in our lives where we do. Uh, recently, my uncle was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And uh, from that point on, they began to ask, uh, the second thing was kind of like, well, we got to find out if it's spread throughout your body. And so they said, you know, have him come in and do all these tests. And he found out that it had and it was it was located in one spot. And that ultimately um, they said, we, we have good news for you. I mean, this can be uh, remedied and we can work this out. It was not going to be something that's going to be life threatening. And it's just a, it was one of those moments that when he first heard, I'm sure that he was thinking like a hopeless kind of sense came all over him. And then afterwards, you kind of feel like his hopes restored because of good news. And some, something for us, I think, is, is as we struggle with that, maybe sometimes even during the Christmas season, I think people can be reminded of the loss of someone or you get together with your family and the people that were there are not there anymore or maybe you've just lost some relationships this year, or whatever it might be, and you struggle with that and you think, man, this is just a hopeless situation. And we're reminded that God is about restoring hope to us. And He restores us to hope by pointing us to the end and the future of, of Christ's return. And so I just encourage you today to be reminded that we have hope. And, and even if you feel hopeless, we have to run back to truths that God has revealed to us. And so I think it's important that we do that. And every year, as we go through the period of Advent, we speak of Advent just means coming. And we say Christ has come and Christ will come. We look back to the past. We look forward to the future, and it has a way of helping us see um, what God is, is, is doing and what He will do for us, and it brings hope to us as a family. You know, when we uh, think about waiting for something, and I, another thing just came to my mind, uh, did any of y'all go out shopping on Thanksgiving Day? Nobody in here? Yeah, some of you, yeah, there you go. We, uh, in my family, um, Anna and, and my sister-in-law's a mom, they, I think they... Uh, ran out after Thanksgiving Day, like 8 p.m. that night, to go to like a store in town. And when they got there, the line was so long. And it said, there's no self worth this. I mean, you know, I would never wait that long. And it's kind of one of those things, I think, sometimes we are so used to in our culture, like getting everything fast, fast food, convenience, all those things are all a part of our culture. We love to do that. And, and yet waiting is something that we've kind of lost the ability to do at some level. And the Christian life leaves us with saying a lot of time waiting. You may wait your whole life to see the things that you're waiting for. Christ may return when you're young, but He may not, and you may die waiting for the Lord. And I think it's important that we need to learn how to do that and how to remind one another of that. And so we're kind of thinking about that, that God's perfect time will be fulfilled. And one of the things I thought about this week is in 2 Peter 3, nine, it says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. And I think we would say, well, I don't understand that. I know how to, I, I count slowness as, you know, if it doesn't come to me within 30 minutes, it's slow, right? 
And so, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's something of a reminder that God waited and you get to come in. There's something of, of saying there are people that if God had to come back earlier, they would not have experienced the knowledge of the truth and experienced the gospel and come to faith. And so one of the things that's wonderful, I think, for us is to say in God's perfect timing, when he's brought all of his people into his flock, Christ will return when everyone's been brought in. And so I think it's important that we understand that. And so we are looking for the future, praying for Christ to return, but we understand that God is bringing in people from every tongue, tribe, and nation to be brought into His family. And that's a beautiful thing that we long for. And so we should, we should look at that and understand it. Now, for some of us, this waiting, some of you may say, uh, I want Jesus to, or, or may say, I don't know if I want this Jesus to come back. I just want to live here now. And, 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 and maybe I don't want him to come back. And some people say, hey, I want him to come back today. For, for someone that's a believer, that's trusted in Jesus, 1 Corinthians says that we, may not all sleep, or we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's coming a day in the twinkling of an eye that Christ will return and He will transform us. He'll bring together His people who have died, their people who are asleep, and those who are awake. Both will be drawn into Christ. Uh, to Christ's family in a way that's like into His kingdom, into the joy of being with Him. All those things will take place. For some, when Christ returns, they will be fearful. They won't be looking for His coming. There will be some people that you talk to today that would say, I don't want Him to come if what you say is true. Because the Scripture says that there will be some when Christ returns who will want Really, they will ask the mountains and rocks to fall on them because His wrath has come. So I would just say today, this is a very important message because we want, we're talking in these, this church service about Jesus coming and looking forward to that. If you are outside of Christ, you've never turned to Him in repentance and faith, when He comes, that's not going to be a day of joy for you. If you are in Christ and you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus to save you, it is a day of joy. And so for you, some of you here today may be thinking about this issue and think, for you, you need to think, am I ready for His coming? Have I prepared for His coming by trusting in Him alone for my salvation? So we're going to look at a few passages that talk about what God's promised and, and how those were fulfilled in Jesus and how we know that He is the one that God said would save us from our sins. And so we're going to start this morning in Genesis 3.15. If you want to turn there, we're going to kind of be traveling through the Bible pretty fast. Like If you want to do that, that's fine. But we'll start in Genesis 3.15. And one of the things that we see there, and some people call this the first gospel message. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, and they sinned against Him and turned away from God, God came to them, and like He said, that the day that they ate from the fruit of that tree, they would surely die. They did not die immediately physically, but their spiritual death came quickly, and then there was coming a day where they would die physically. After that happened, you kind of wonder, like, what's going to happen? God's beautiful world is destroyed. All is lost. And in Genesis 3.15, God speaks, and He's speaking actually here to the serpent. And He's saying to the serpent, really, now here's the thing. In the verse before this, He speaks to a physical like snake, if you will. And then the second part, the serpent here is like Satan. 
And so you kind of have to get that in your mind. But he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God says to the devil, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. This means there will be a perpetual battle between these two. But ultimately, Eve is who he's speaking of here. Her offspring would crush the head of the serpent. And what we read in, earlier in our study guide, was, in our worship guide, was that uh, Galatians chapter 4, where it says that at the perfect time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Jesus came and He was going to crush the head of the serpent. He was going to give the serpent this deadly blow. And, and so the, at this early stage, God is going to speak and say, listen to me. It's like He's whispering in their ear and He's saying, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to reconcile you to me. The fall brought all these horrible consequences. You and I look around the world and say, yes, yeah, see those things. And God's whispering to the very first family, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to bring one, a man who really is the God man who will crush the head of the serpent, sin, wickedness, death, all that's part of that, I'm coming to address that and deal with that. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. You kind of see this picture here. He's triumphing over. He's defeating our enemies. And so we see that, and I think it's important to see it. Now, later there's another promise given, just moving forward a little bit in Genesis chapter 12. We read that in our worship guide today. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, a central thing where God says to Abram, go from your country, country and your family and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a sense in which God gives this broad promise to Adam, and to, He's saying there's going to come from you one who will crush the head of the serpent. It's narrowed down with Abraham. And there's this kind of more focusing in. And God says, Abraham, through your descendants will come blessing to all the nations. In Genesis 22.18, he says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Galatians says that the offspring, the seed, is Christ. Christ is the one who will come and bless all the nations of the earth. Jesus is the seed of the woman and the seed of Abraham. Keep moving. Genesis 49. just want you to see this with me. In Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from the, between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. One of those sons is named Judah. And Judah is the one that, that really, when Jacob is about to die, Jacob says uh, to all of his sons, he kind of gives these blessings, kind of. I mean, some of them got like not such a good kind of thing. That, I mean, he said stuff almost like these prophetic things about their people that would grow out of these sons, the family that would come out of them. But not everybody got the happiest kind of thing. But, but Judah, he says the scepter, 
The scepter is the idea of He will be the ruling tribe of the people of God. It will not depart until what some translations say until Shiloh comes. It's the idea most people would understand this to be that until Christ comes. There's a sense in which this family, this Judah tribe, so again, you focus in, Adam and Eve says, hey, from you will come this one that will crush the head of the serpent. It's narrowed down. Through Abraham it will come. It's narrowed down. Through Judah it will come. And so God is revealing His plan that He is sending one to rescue His people from their sins. And so as we kind of keep going, I think it's important, you could, if you have the ability to, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 6 and 7, we see the seed of the woman with Adam and Eve, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Judah, and in the line of David. David was from the tribe of Judah, this family that was kind of the family of kings. And David was a king, really God's king that we would see. And he kind of becomes the model for the rest. But here's what happens in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This passage speaks of a a child to be born who will be the ruler of His people. Notice what we see here. He is the wonderful Counselor. His wisdom would be beyond us. We are so limited in our understanding, but He is this wonderful Counselor that brought us revelation. He gave us the exact representation of God's nature. He, when you saw Him, you would say, this is what God is like. This is what God's ways are like. They had received the, 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 the commands of God in, in, in a form that you could understand. And, and God had spoken to His people. And now in Jesus, they will see the fullness of that. The fullness of wisdom in bodily form. And so when we read and study, we see Him as this wonderful Counselor both by His life and by His words and all that He says to us. He's also a mighty God. Now here's the thing, just think about. Jesus is not just this wonderful Counselor who is unable to do something. He is also God. He is a mighty God. He has the power to act on His wisdom. This involves both, and I was talking to some guys earlier, both restraint to keep from doing what is wrong and the power to do what is right. He's able to protect His people and to keep them from harm. So not only is He wise, but He's also able to act upon that wisdom. And He does that. And I think it's important, sometimes you kind of look at your own life and you think, I I wish I had the wisdom here to understand and to walk. God has given that to us through His Son in very powerful ways. And that He is with us and that His strength is there for us. Really, what we find out is that that power that that really, Travis was talking about this earlier, that worked in Jesus to raise Him from the dead is that power that works within us today as believers. He's also an everlasting Father. This means He's not just temporarily a Father. I I was thinking about that this week. My mom um, said that when her father passed away, that there's some level of security that's lost. I mean, she's been married to my dad for however many years now, and, 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 and there's security there.
But then there's something of having a father there that you feel like there's security. Well, when he was gone, that kind of was lost, you might say. And so he, it says everlasting father. We, we know that our father cares for us, provides for us and guides us. But for us, most of us, we say that's a temporary thing. But he's saying it's everlasting. He is always going to be there for us, guiding us and protecting us and caring for us. He's the Prince of Peace. Not only does, does Jesus bring to us peace with God, but it's peace with one another. The Scripture presents that we were in hosti- there was hostility between us and God. We were estranged and enemies of God, but Jesus reconciled us to Him. The Bible even says that we were hateful and hating one another, but He reconciled us to one another so that we are brothers and sisters in Him. So when you look at this, you say, we look back and you think about like He's narrowing down this focus of one who's going to come and restore things, to make things right, to make things what they ought to be. He's bringing peace and His power and his, the fatherhood that comes with just taking care of us and even, even more so the counsel that comes. He is with us. And so we see that there's this One that is coming. And all of these promises that we've looked at, all of these prophetic things are finding their fulfillment in Christ. Even David once asked if he could build a temple for God if he could bless God in a way. And God said to him, to David, He says, I'm going to build your house. And in 2 Samuel, we're not going to read that this morning, but 2 Samuel chapter 7, he speaks of this one that David, your line will go on forever. You'll have an everlasting kingdom. It will never go away. God is speaking directly to him and saying, there's this one coming that will come and he will forever set on, on his kingdom. And so I just think it's important, I mean, on his throne and rule and guide and be over all things. All of these things are pointing to Christ coming. All of these things should give us hope. All of these things should remind us that Jesus is going to return. And that just as it was promised way back then, and Christ came in his first coming, we can hope in his second coming. We are awaiting that. Not only that, so we say, okay, there was the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Judah, and the line of David. And then we go forward in in Isaiah chapter 11, we see that He is anointed with the Spirit and preached the Gospel to the poor. Jesus did that. All of these things Jesus did. Isaiah 11.2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All of these things. He did. Isaiah 42 1 says, Behold, my servant who I'm uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth justice to the nations. Isaiah 61 1 speaks again of the anointing of the Spirit and the preaching that came with it. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. All of these things 
Jesus, when he came on this earth and, and he was he, he he started right before he started his ministry, there was a time where John the Baptist would baptize him. And when he was baptizing him, the Holy Spirit came down. It was kind of, it was a sign that he was being prepared at some level for ministry and he was being sent out in the power of the Spirit. It, it really, this gave him, the Scripture presents here, wisdom and power and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Spirit allowed him to bring justice to the nations. And, and, and really, the idea there is, is not only that he would uphold justice, but he would really, like he's going to bring justice upon the nations. He's going to preach the Gospel to the poor. And I think the poor here, what we'll see in Jesus' ministry is not just physically poor, but the spiritually poor. We would say both of those are true, that He's going to do that. You're going to see Him invest in those who are in need, but both physically and spiritually. There's a sense in which when we see our spiritual bankruptcy, that we see our need for Christ in all of these things, He fulfills those. He is rescuing His people. I don't know if you've ever been broken hearted. Most of you probably have. You might look back and say, hmm, that was really kind of a silly broken heartedness. And you may look at sometimes and you say, man, that was for real. I mean, that was the real deal. All of us look back and you may see different kinds of things and different suffering of heart. But Jesus, when He came again, spoke to, come to Me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Maybe you would say, I've felt the bondage or imprisonment in my life. Maybe you say, I haven't felt it physically, but I've been imprisoned by my sin. Kind of, You could ask the question, have you ever desired to be set free? Maybe in the darkest moments or in the secret places of your life. And you say, man, I know what it's like to be in bondage. I know what it's like not to be able to shake sin. Maybe not to shake the sin in my life. I know in those things, those issues of life, there's sin in me. And Mike and I were talking about this earlier. He was just saying that, you know, we, we talk, we, we've come a long way in a lot of areas. And we were studying the, the life of Job. We found out that God said, you don't know this, you don't know that. And, and then we went out and say, well, there's some things we do know. We've learned a lot of, in science and all these things through observation. But there's one area where, it's, where we're not really seeming to advance in, in many ways, and that would be with issues of the heart. It, it, it's like you could, there are people that you know that can do things that just almost blow your mind with, with different kinds of surgeries and all that kind of stuff, but they can't get along with their family. Because there's things that are, all these struggles are there, this in bondage, being in bondage and imprisoned to sin and brokenhearted. All of those things are part of the fallen world, and yet Jesus has come to rescue us from those things. He promises rescue from those things. There are broken things and sinful things and heart, uh, hard-hearted people and all those things in our world, and yet God is about working those or transforming those things and transforming us on the inside. So Jesus, the promise was that He would come and it keeps narrowing down and it focuses us and it says there's this one that's going to come and then it's going to begin to unveil for us what kind of king he'll be. What he will be like for us. But he's not just going to be this eternal king. He's also going to be the final prophet. In Deuteronomy, it speaks of him being a prophet likened to Moses. In Deuteronomy 
18. In verse 15 it says, The Lord your God will raise up for us a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is, it is to him you shall listen. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. In Matthew, we see this. Jesus is pictured in the Gospel of Matthew as a new Moses. He comes and it's like the first thing you see is he enters in on the scenes in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, out of Egypt I called my son. What does that do? It reminds us of Israel coming out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. He passes through the waters. He goes through baptism. He's passing through the waters. He comes out of the waters and he goes into the wilderness like the Israel of old passed through the Red Sea and walked into the wilderness. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And as he does, he is faithful to the Lord. He leaves the wilderness period where he's faithful to God. And then he comes out of that in chapter 5. He goes up on the mountain. In the Sermon on the Mount, and he speaks forth the words that bring life to the people. The people looked at what he said and they said, He speaks with such authority, we've never heard anything like this. So, Jesus is not just this eternal king that was promised, he's also the final prophet that speaks the very words of God. When you heard him, you were hearing from God. Third thing we see promise promise that was prophesied about Jesus is that he was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. It, that, that just means that when it speaks of that, that he's, he's both king, prophet, and priest. He's the, the great high priest. In Psalm 110.4 it says, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus had no beginning and end in a sense. He, he was like Melchizedek that just showed up in Genesis 14. He, and some of you say, I don't even know what that's about. Don't worry about it other than this. He was a king or a priest that would forever hold his priesthood. He is the priest that came and he would stand in the gap between us and God. He would minister for us on, before God. He is the one who stands before um, God and says, I have stand, I stand in their place and I'm ministering on their behalf. Not only that, He was the final sacrifice for our sins. And so He holds His priesthood forever. He is the one who is the priest that would be the great high priest that would always intercede on our behalf and always stand in the gap between us and God. That's a, such a wonderful truth for us. He is the perfect priest who never needed to even offer a sacrifice for himself because he was sinless. So although Jesus was really, you could say, the great prophet, priest, and king who was promised throughout the Old Testament, he was not received with open arms. That's why I said today, some of you may be here today and you say, man, Jesus thing's a good thing. It's cool to be here during Christmas. I think about it a little bit. I think about the baby in the manger. And maybe you just don't really think that much about Him. Or you don't care that much about Him. We would say ultimately Christ came to save us from our sins. In Jesus' first coming, when He came, there was a back in the old, like way thousands of years before, a man named Isaiah spoke of him when he came as a suffering servant. 
as one who would deal with our sins. I want you to turn there to Isaiah 53. Because I want to read that with you. You go to about the middle of your Bible, and then turn to the right. You keep going from Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and you keep going, you'll get to Isaiah 53. One of the things you're going to see here, and I think it's very, very important to see that He was the suffering servant says in Isaiah 53, verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Jesus was not treasured by others. He was not loved by them. They would want to hide their faces from Him. Verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You see, He was a man acquainted with sorrow. He, he, he struggled. This life was not an easy road for Jesus. Verse 5, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity. That just means sin of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So He opened not his mouth. You would think that the Jesus we've just been talking about, the great king, the final prophet, the great high priest, you would think people would see him and hear him and understand who he was and accept him. But when he came, he was despised and rejected. You know, even in the Christian life, we think sometimes, and I think sometimes because it's so, I was driving by churches this morning, and, and, and I would never like run this down. I just saw inside of these churches all of these Christmas trees and lights, and it was so beautiful and nice, and they'll have flowers, and I, again, I'm not opposed to that. But sometimes I think we get the idea of something very clean and beautiful and wonderful and just happy, happy, happy kind of life in the Christian life. And what you see here is Jesus faced very great struggles. Why did Jesus, why was he pierced and crushed and chastised? Why? Because of our sins. He was brutally tortured physically, but behind that torture was a spiritual torture unable to be described. He experienced the wrath of God. The horror caused him to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His first coming is in some ways, it's horrible. We would see that and say, this is, is scary and it's, it's, it's something that we don't want to think about and we don't want to really, we want to think about the little baby in a manger, not this. He would experience the unimaginable. But for us, the horror is also filled with great joy. Because in the horrible experience that He had, we could have life. We could be reconciled to God. We could have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. He willingly went to the slaughter on our behalf. He was obedient to the will of the Father. He experienced all of these things to rescue His bride from their sins. 
He rescued people that were crying out, crucify Him. Crucify Him. Who were there standing among those who watched Him beaten. All of those things Jesus did for us. Advent is looking back to that. And even though there's a horror of it, it's looking back to that in joy, knowing that because He was cursed, because He was beaten, because He faced those things, we don't have to. It should produce joy. But it should produce a joy at the same time sober us. Because it's, it's something very difficult to see and understand, but it's so wonderful at the same time. But Jesus didn't just come the first time. He's coming again. And when He returns on the second time, He comes as the reigning Lord. Advent also helps us look to the future. The promise that Jesus is coming again. And He will come again. And in the first, He was a servant. In the second, He will come as reigning Lord. And here's what He's going to do. He's going to restore all things. And all the joy of, of what is promised for us will be experienced. We look forward to that day and the last day when the trump sounds and Christ returns again and we get to see Him and we get to enter into the joy of being with Him. And we, we look forward to that day when the Psalm 23 idea of being able to sit down in green pastures with Him and enjoy the streams of water and enjoy all of the wonders of it all. We get to experience eternity with Him. We long for that day when He sets up His kingdom. For us as believers, we are looking back to the past. We're looking to the future. And we're rejoicing as we await that day. So I ask you today, do you look forward to Christ's return? Are you hoping in His return? Are you urgent, like urgently waiting, Christ, please come? The church throughout the ages has cried out, Christ, please come. They await that day. Are you looking for that day? Will that day be a day of light for you? Of joy for you? Or will it be a day of darkness? I just say to you, choose today whom you will serve. Will you turn from your sins and trust in Christ as the only hope for your salvation? Or will you reject Him? For those who reject Him, it will be a day of darkness and not light. For those who accept Him and walk in His ways, it will be a day of light, a day of joy, a day of celebration. As you wait for Christ to return, as you wait for Him to return, will you be one who will share with others of this glorious day? I hope that you will. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would help us see again the wonder of all of the promises. All the promises that You made to us. All the prophetic voices that spoke of one coming to save us from our sins, that we would see that that was fulfilled in Jesus. We ask You, Lord, that You would help us see that afresh in a way that we haven't before, potentially, so that we might rejoice even more. Lord, we ask You also for those who are here that may have never trusted in Christ that they would today. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.